Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is sponsored by Bear Attack Boxing, providers of high quality boxing equipment. And today I want to talk about the Power Focus Pads. Now they are focus pads that are ideal for training your boxing students and also for boxing training as well. They've got extra thickness and they're very, very shock absorbent. This pad is ideal for getting them big hooks, big right crosses, the big uppercuts, the great selection of shots thrown by fighters. So guys, go over and check them out at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk. Go and check out their new product, which is the Power Focus Pads. Only $24.99. Get over there, check them out. Check them out on social media at Bear Attack Boxing on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson. Slugs to the canvas. The champion struggles to stay on his feet. How do you like it? Welcome Fight Fans to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights and today's episode as voted for by you the listeners is the tale of Nigel Benn versus Chris Eubank from November 1990. And before we get into the episode today, I want you guys to go and check us out on social media at BTR Boxing Pod and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook as well. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify. We're on all good available podcasting apps out there. So, 
as voted for by you, the listeners, the users of Twitter. You've voted for Nigel Benn versus Chris Eubank as your legendary knight for this week. We're going to be exploring the build-up to the fight. We're going to be exploring the careers of both men leading into the fight. And we're going to be exploring the fight itself and what this meant for the aftermath of their careers. So here it is, guys. This is the next episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights, and it's the tale of Nigel Benn versus Chris Eubank. This is it. This is the tale of Nigel Benn versus Chris Eubank way back in 1990. Delighted to say Johnson Brown is on the phone recording this episode with me today. This is a fantastic episode. And what a great pick and what a great selection of fights you put out on Twitter for us, Johnston. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was difficult because, you know, 1990 era, there were so many, so many good fights. But, um, you know, Ben Olyfield in there, obviously. Um, but, you know... Uh, Ben Eubank won. Uh, he could have gone with Ben Eubank too, but uh, I thought Ben won. Probably it was the better fight. So, yeah, really looking to go through this classic, classic, unforgettable encounter. Yeah, this is an unforgettable encounter indeed. So, as always, we'll be covering off the fighters' careers, briefly going to date to the fight. We'll be covering off the build-up, which we've got an interesting build-up to discuss today. And then we'll be covering the fight and the aftermath really excited for this one so as always then let's go into it let's talk a little bit about these guys so first of all before we go into the careers i I just wanted to briefly give my thoughts uh and and get yours on both men really both men and 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 your memories of these two guys just just sort of going into this particular fight looking back on things for me johnston i was like i got so many good memories of of both fighters for for what they did in their careers but this particular fight the build-up to it watching it back was it, it made you feel like it's something that's kind of missing from today's era something that we don't have anymore something that feels a bit more fabricated in this day and age whereas this this particular fight as a lot of people know it was just pure it's just pure hatred between the guys at the time and, and probably still is today. And this, for me, you know, memories of it wise was just, it was just epic. It was just an epic event that we'd not seen on these shows for for a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Um, yeah, I, I Ben was uh, was always my favourite as a kid. I mean, I, I was only eight when this fight happened. So, you know, my memories of the fight are more to do with, my brother watching it, cheering on Ben, shadow boxing as he's watching it, and just being in like in awe of what, what the hell's going on type of thing. You know, I was eight years old thinking, what the hell is this? I've never seen this before. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, with, with the build up and just just the hatred and watching back as an adult, and uh, you know, with with Eubank friends, my, my brother wasn't a fan of Eubank, so being eight years old, I followed suit, and uh, I was never a fan of him myself. Uh, always a Ben fan. Um, you know, the guy. It was more into he had, he had yeah I said it was more entertaining. Yeah, Eubank probably had the the whole package, didn't he? He had that Marmite sort of style in terms of you know with the public where people would love to hate him, which which Barry Hearn tapped into really well. Um, and then obviously with Ben, he was he was obviously the Dark Destroyer, and he was the it was just a monster. He just wanted to throw bombs. Uh, you know, it was the, that Bob and Weave style and throwing his shots. 
and he was a real fan favourite. And um, yeah, it really, it really did. It was, it was, a, it was a great, great fight, and obviously everything else up before it. Um, yeah, completely with Sean. It was just, it was just great, you know, t- to be around at that time. I suppose as I say, I've done it young, but it was, you know, it, it was, it was, it was pure hatred and and genuine, not this fabricated stuff, as you said, as it is today. So let's talk about. Nigel Benn then, first of all, starting his career way back in 1987 and it was something you touched on before we recorded this episode today was that the words you used was they don't make him like this anymore and you're very, very right because Nigel Benn in 1987, what was it, one, two, three, about 12 fights in his first year as a professional? Unbelievable, isn't it? 12 fights in 1987. He debuted in January, and he had that. And his first fight and his twelfth fight was in the second of December, nineteen eighty-seven. Twelve fights, unbelievable. Knocked them all out. Knocked them all out. I know. That's that's the crazy thing about it is that it's and scary about it. The fact that he knocked every single one of them guys out going into nineteen eighty-eight and moving into nineteen eighty-eight is where he started to really come to fruition in the middleweight division. He won the vacant Commonwealth middleweight title uh, against Abdul Sandar in 20th of April 1988. Uh, he moves on. He also defended it against Anthony Logan. He also defended it against David Noel. Uh, and then he also defended it against Michael Shalambi as well, moving into 1989. So, he, you know, he was very, very good fight. He was knocking everybody out. He was just the, the thing for me that stands out the most and what people do remember Ben by is the fact that he knocked a lot of people out. He was very, very hard when he was punching. He was such a tough man and he had power in both of them fists. Oh, absolutely. And he had this style where he literally knew he was going to get you. I mean, he actually made a comment as well um, saying that, yeah, he fought a couple of Mexican road sweepers, which is quite funny. And that's, that's pretty much what Ben was like of that time. Um, so, you know, not all of them were, you know, they were, they were pretty small names, but, uh, you know, 12 fights in and he's knocked out 12 fellas in one year. You know, you're not going to be fighting anyone major. So, but just to knock these guys out, says it all. And uh, and obviously, we've, I mean, you mentioned the Logan fight. The Logan fight was an interesting one because because uh, Ben was actually put down in the first round in that Logan fight. And then um, he also had to sustain an unbelievable a flurry from Logan, which today, the fight probably would have been stopped. He's under so much pressure and he just lands his big shot. Massive one-punch knockout, which is what Ben was all about. He had that one-punch knockout. And, and the one thing with Ben that I think the fans really liked, obviously knocking people out, but the fact that when he was in trouble, and he, he was almost like a wounded animal where he would actually be more dangerous. So that was always a, a great a great marking point for for Ben with the fans, and they, you know, you can't. Once when he's in trouble, you're thinking it's over. Not with Nigel. Nigel will will he will find a way. He had a will to. He had this unbelievable will, and he would put you away. He certainly was, and that was evident, obviously, through his first part of his career. And then he bumped into a certain Michael Watson in 1989 at Finsbury Park, why he lost via a TKO stoppage to Michael Watson, who again was another fantastic British middleweight of that particular era. Uh, and a great fight to go back and look on in terms of looking at the career of Nigel Benn. You think about these fights, although he lost this fight, this was an absolutely brilliant fight. Ah, oh, unbelievable fight! It, it was, it was con- the fourth round in particular was absolutely superb. It was like literally one for the ages. It was, it was, it was non-stop. I mean, ben went for it because that's what he, he never really had any plan B. The plan, plan A was to just go in there and wipe someone out. And Michael Watson, as you say, was also 
I mean, you've you got Watson, Eubank and Ben, and the three of them, you know, they, they were all, all three of them from London. And the argument probably was at the time is that Watson might may have even just been above Ben. He well, obviously beat him, but he covered up well. He took the shots well. And then obviously Ben just sort of tired him out. Tired, he got tired. And, and then he got caught um, a few times, got stunned Ben. And in, inevitably, he actually got put down with a jab, funny enough, um, which, which the fight stopped. Referee counted him out. It was a bit of a bit of an interesting count. The crowd went a bit mad. I mean, loads, loads of people come tearing into the ring. Um, so uh, some, some of the broadcasters were a little bit nervous about whether it's going to kick off or not. Um, but yeah, um, obviously Watson then went on to fight Mike McCallum literally straight after this. So, so Ben losing that fight, in actual fact, it, it, it served him well in terms of his, you know, of, of going forward. Because, uh, you know, as we say, a, a defeat is never a bad thing. And obviously I think, I think that today's society were a little bit, you know, we, we, I think these some of these fighters they're not interested in losing they're a bit worried about losing their unbeaten record but as, as Ben proved here that it makes no difference it actually makes you a better fighter yeah and I agree with that and I agree with that statement in today's generation of boxing and the fighters that are out there at the moment so obviously you lost to Michael Watson he moves on goes straight back in goes over to Atlantic City gets a unanimous decision against Jorge Ampraro and then goes to Las Vegas and beats Jose Quinosis uh, with a TKO victory there in 1989. Goes into 1990, so we're getting into the 90s, which is what this particular fight we're talking about today was in. And then we get Sanderline Williams, who he beats in Atlantic City via a split decision. Uh, and then this is where, for me where his career obviously started to really take off, when he then fought in April of that year, 1990, Doug DeWitt, for the WBO middleweight title of the world, picking up a TKO victory and his first world title. Yeah, yeah, it was a real turning point for Ben. He went to America, um, sort of adjusted his style slightly, not too much, but um, I think I think the America, you know, being in America, he tried to just become a little. He learned from the Watson fight, put it that way. But in saying that, again, when he was under pressure, he would just end up throwing bombs because that's what it was about and actually Doug DeWitt put him down and then um, Ben put him down I think in the third so he was put down second Ben then put DeWitt down in the third and then uh, it was the free uh, the free knockdown rule as well so that was what done it I mean to be fair DeWitt was in the state continuing away but yeah he won it on the free uh, free knockdown rule uh, which was obviously the, the rules that the WBA WBO sorry had put in which which, which was the lesser title as well so um, at the time anyway it was it was a new title so uh, it wasn't as, as highly regarded as the other two and the next fight and this is even greater. Iran Barclay and Nigel Ben. Wow, what a fight this was! A one-round KO from Nigel Ben. Oh my God, this is, this is you know I'm emphasising the oh my God in this because I tell you what, this was an absolutely fantastic fight. It was just frantic from the off. And when you look at Nigel Ben's career, this is this kind of epitomises what his career was really. When you get these particular fights where they're just absolute constant back and forth action, and we'll be talking a little bit about some of the other fights later on down the line in the episode. But this this Aaron Barkley was a guy that was supposed to beat Nigel Ben. Nigel Ben wasn't supposed to go in there and do a number on Aaron Barkley. He was the underdog, even though he was the champion. It was like he was going to America to give his title away to Aaron Barkley, but boy, did he go and do a job on Barkley in that fight. Oh, oh, unbelievable fight. If that fight, if there were, again, he won this with the three-time knockdown rule again with the WBO, which they implied, um, and you sort of wish they didn't. It literally, from the first bell, Ben's got in, literally caught Barkley straight away, 
rocked him two senses. He literally went down, bounced off the ropes and stood back up again, Parkley. <laughs> it was a wonderful shot. And then, uh, and then obviously, Ben tries to go for the finish and gets caught himself. He literally gets really badly caught. And you're thinking, uh-oh, Barkley's got him. And then obviously, he comes back, puts him down again. It was The, the, the last two knockdowns were actually a little bit you know he got up Barkley he wasn't in no he wasn't in like no fit state to continue he was he could have probably carried on so that three time knockdown rule unfortunately it, it, it prevented what could have been it could have been like a, a Hagler Hearns in a way because that was how this fight was going it was an absolute belter and, and funny enough uh, Barkley just before that had an incredible sequence of fights where he had actually beaten Tommy Hearns lost to Duran lost to Michael Nunn and then eventually lost to Ben. So that then then that three fight sequence there is pretty impressive, or four fights, sorry. Um, so just shows you again. And Barkley, you know, Barkley beats Hearns twice, and then you've got you know Duran who beat Barkley, and then Hearns knocks that Duran. So it's, 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 it just shows you styles make fights. And I tell you what, Barkley Ben was an unbelievable fight, and it's just a shame it lasted around. Yeah. You're right, it would have been a great fight to have seen go out at least another couple of rounds, but as you said, with the three knockdown rule which was in place from the WBO at the time, that fight was stopped in the first round, uh, which brought an unbelievable end to the fight and an unbelievable title defence for Nigel Benn, which led into this next fight, which was the fight we're talking about today versus Chris Eubank. So, Chris Eubank then, let's talk about him, let's talk about his career going into the Benn fight. And one of the most notable things, you know, when looking at his career and going back all the way to the beginning, is that he actually had his first five fights in the USA which I was very surprised about when I, when I looked back on that. I wasn't something I actually knew about Chris Eubank going into doing this podcast. I didn't realise Chris Eubank had actually built his name on, on his first five fights in America, making his debut in Atlantic City. That That was like, oh my God, not many people get to do that, especially in that particular era, in the 80s, when I don't think the money in boxing was nowhere near as big as it is today because of all the TV rights and everything else that goes with it. You think about, in this day and age, a lot of fighters do get this opportunity, more so than ever now, but to be breaking your debut and then fighting another four times in America, what a, what an unbelievable start to his career. Oh, absolutely. And it also shows that, you know, obviously they see a talent in, in Chris. And obviously he had unbelievable talent. He had that sort of unusual style, unorthodox style. But, um, yeah, funny enough, I mean, you say that. It was actually due to the fact that he was suspended, uh, I think, 18 times in one year from his school over in England. And uh, his dad ended up shipping him off to his mum in New York. So... So that's why he was out there and, and it, he sort of changed his tune and he, he tried to become a better person and ended up finding boxing as, as they do. Um, and uh, yeah, so fight, he had his first five fights in America. He did and then he come back over, back to the UK, started to build his reputation throughout the late 80s. So he fought at the famous York Hall, Bethnal Green, he fought at the Brentwood Centre, you know, places that you'll know very well, the Royal Albert Hall, another great boxing venue there down in London. Yeah, exactly. And this was where he started to really build himself as a fighter and establish himself as a fighter. Now, one of the interesting things about Eubank's career going into this particular fight was that prior to going into the fight with, with Nigel Benn, he'd actually never won a professional title as such in terms of the domestic side of 
the business. So he'd never actually been there and picked up a Commonwealth title or a British title, the Lord Lonsdale belt at this point. He'd picked up the WBC International middleweight title, which I suppose is the version of like what we get today where it's like a WBC silver or, or something of that nature. But he'd never actually picked up the Lord Lonsdale or the Commonwealth at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? He didn't go through that route, you know, the British, the English, the British. Yeah, it, that is one thing I didn't. I, do you know what? I didn't even think about actually. He, yeah, I mean, he was signed by Barry Hearn. I think Barry picked him up and brought him over here. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, he quite he tried to to, to 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 nurture him in terms of having him as that Marmite character. But yeah, interestingly, he didn't did he? I mean, the only way I, looking at some of these names is obviously the Anthony Logan fight, which he fought on the undercard of Ben, who was the headliner which was in 1989, the year before they fought. So I think that was actually the fight when, when Eubank turned around and said, you know, he called Ben out. So that was when it started, if you like. And he had, I mean, he had a lot of fights. He had five fights in 88, and then he had nine fights in 89, which again shows you they don't make them like this anymore, Sean, at all. But yeah, really interesting. I never picked up on that. But yeah, not one, apart from obviously, as you say, the WBC International which obviously put him in a higher rank at the time. What was also interesting is going into the Ben fight, he'd actually had four fights previously throughout the year. So, you know, he he started in March, and then he fought again in April, then he fought again in September, and then again at the end of September. So he'd fought four times before eventually going into this fight in November of 1990 with Nigel Ben. So I think it just goes back down to the fact that, like we were saying here, they don't make him like this anymore, and for him to have had that many fights in the space of a year going into the biggest fight of his life was i think it's something to really respect uh, especially in in our generation i mean you're thinking of this now this is what 29 years ago that this fight happened now as we're talking about it in 2019 so (laughs) as well as it making us feel old it also (laughs) hits home the fact that they don't make fighters like this anymore I mean, they take fighters down different routes, and this is a route where he actually didn't go domestically through. He, he, he fought great opponents and international opponents, but then he obviously got this rankings belt, as we said, a WBC international middleweight title, which put him in prime position uh, to, to, to potentially fight for a world title. And then there was all this build-up, which is what we're going to go into in a moment, about the Nigel Benfart. As you said, he, and you rightly pointed out, we'd called him out in 1989. And at the time... Obviously, Nigel Benn went and picked up the World Boxing Organization World Middleweight title. So this made the fight even more interesting for for fight fans. The fact that it was two British fighters contesting a world title and it was going to be happening on this show. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the crazy thing is as well is... With, with with you, mate, as you say, not not picking up any any going through the domestic route, if domestic route, if you like, but it is Barry Hearn as well. Credit to him because he, you know, he, he was obviously involved in snooker and um, he, he picked up. I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think that was one of his first fights. You bank, he sees something in you bank, and and he built. Eubank in a, in a, in such a way that it captured the imagination. It, you know, he was obviously he was on terrestrial television on ITV. He had signed a contract. He was good friends with the guy with Barry Hearn. This is he was good friends with uh, I can't I can't remember the guy's name, but who ran ITV at the time. So obviously getting Eubank on the bill and obviously knocking a few guys out before that. He had a, a few points decisions, but just that arrogant style and uh, and I'll go back to my brother because that's one person I can look at here is he absolutely detested Eubank my brother <laughs> and and that was very smart from Barry it, look at it now you think about it you think he's, he's, he's done a right one he's done a really good job here because 
people noticed him not because he had picked out a British title, not because he was a European champion, but because of his of his style and his attitude and his confidence. He almost had this aura about him where you, you what he was saying, you almost believed him and and he had that wonderful technique and an unusual and unorthodox technique. And no matter how crazy the guy is, I mean, I think he's absolutely deluded with some of the things that he comes out with. But naturally, a, a, an unusual fighter to watch. And, and he, he talked himself into this fight at the end of the day. I mean, it probably, Ben probably didn't even need to take it. He was probably looking at, I think they even mentioned Sugar Ray Leonard after after the Barkley fight. That was what they were looking at, the Rams and your Leonard's at middleweight. But um, obviously it didn't happen. But yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, he knocked out the Brazilian as well with like 10 seconds. And so um, <laughs> it, it, it was set up lovely for, for this big one in 1990. And this is it. We're going to talk about this particular build-up to the fight because in terms of build-ups, this is definitely one of them that gets you excited when you listen back to the audio of, of this particular build-up going into it because there were some harsh words exchanged between these men. It was quite evident in the build-up to this fight that they absolutely despised each other. Nigel Benny's talking to you. Come to face me. Thing about him, he's all hype. He's all hype, you know. And I, I can't wait to November the eighteenth to give him a good, good hiding. You know, he went out there. He'd done the job on the guy. Who was it? Another Sanchez, Gomez, Lopez. Who was it? Another road sweeper. Hey, I've done that before. Now I'm with the big boys. I'm there. I'm there already. He's got to prove himself. Not me. I have what it takes. This man is nothing but uh, he's just, he's the real hype. I come up the hard way. I've been yeah, prove for myself, boy. You had your time. Let's, let's have some parliamentary procedure here, right? Oh, God. I have nothing to say to Nigel. I find the man uh, intolerable in that he's so wild. You know, when they talk about boxing and they talk about fights, you know, fabricated, and they look like they're kind of putting it on to sell tickets, there was no, there was no fabrication at all with this fight. You could just see these two men just genuinely hated each other. I was absolutely genuine dislike. I mean, they actually put the uh, the sign of the fight on TV, and uh, I mean, you sort of think, God, what are they doing? Like, but in actual fact, it worked so well. Um, so you had, you know, you had uh, Eubank sort of sitting with his back to Ben, and it wouldn't look at Ben, um, and Ben's you could see he was he was just really winding him up. Um, I think I can't remember the name of the host of the show at the time, but he was saying that you're not going to sort of turn around and look at him. And Eubanks giving it the old no, I'll, I'll look at him on the night of the fight. Um, and then they're saying, you know, I can see this genuine dislike. And Eubank comes with, I don't dislike him. I, you know, I just want his WBO title. And and Ben goes, I personally, I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> and he's he's saying the public are coming up to him, telling him you got to knock out this cat this cat is you know he's too big for his boots and you know he's got a big head you need to put him away ben and and then uh, ambrose mendy was obviously his manager at the time was also present alongside ben and then you had barry Earn signing the contract and getting involved as well and it just warmed up beautifully really and it, obviously the war of words in between fights as well so yeah yeah it, it was just it was fascinating to watch back and uh I've, as I say, I was only young, but I have these vague memories of uh, my brother not being too best pleased with you, basically. In my opinion, although he's a great puncher, he has nothing else other than that. Do you go along with that, Ambrose? That's Andy? why. Not, not, not at all. Um, not at all. Nigel Ben came, he came up the hard way. You know, we're going to find out on a night who's fooling who. In my opinion, Chris Eubank uh, tries to talk as if he, he came out of uh, some Silver Spoon society. He's a kid off the street the same as us, and we're going to find out on the night just who's fooling who. 
in regards to Chris saying that boxing is a mugs game, we've got something to show you. It's a piece of our own artwork. Perhaps you'd like yeah. to hone in on that. It's a mugs game. And I'd say this, a Shakespearean quote for you young men to learn. How much sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. That's from all the professional boxers in this country. Barry Hearn, why is this man the boxer they all love to hate? Well, I don't think they do. I think that's uh, an image that's been afforded to him by some of the journalists in Fleet Street. It takes a bit of time to appreciate Chris Eubank. But, you know, having said that, you know, I'm not detracting from either fighter, but we have a situation where Nigel Benn fought Michael Watson. Nigel Benn was the undefeated fighter that went in. Chris Eubank now is the undefeated fighter. He's there on merit. Uh, he is the man until he's been beaten. And uh, it's going to be a very highly competitive fight between two great athletes. Even going back and watching like the clips on YouTube, which is wonderful for us to, to watch in this day and age, it's it's great to watch back at the genuine disdain for each other. And, you know, you look at the, the modern-day rivalries that we've seen where we felt like there's genuine hatred, hatred between one another. And the one we covered a few weeks back with Frotch and Groves is a perfect example of two guys that really just didn't like each other there was no put on there was no charade it was just genuine dislike Eubank obviously the Marmite character as you referred to him earlier he, he was that he was very arrogant he, he was well he still is <laughs> he still is but he was more so than ever back in back in the 90s he was such an arrogant man that nobody liked so eccentric spoke in a certain way mannerisms everything about him was just you either liked the guy or you really hated the guy and wanted to see him get knocked out by the likes of Nigel Ben. so this is what sort of split public opinion on the fact that Eubank was a beautiful boxer great skill great stylistically going in against a guy who was known for his knockout power but also a guy that would come forward and it was going to make for an interesting fight it was definitely going to it was definitely the boxer against the puncher anyway that was that was for sure oh you you saying that Chris Eubank actually was quoted just before the fight saying uh, a competent and intellectual boxer against a shallow-minded puncher. That was basically how he built the fight. <laughs> That's typical Eubank, isn't it? You know, As a puncher, because a puncher never beats a boxer. So it was very, it was very clever with how he phrased it. You can only write his words down and know exactly what he's going to say and how he's going to say it, and and that just wound Ben up because Ben was, you know, he was, <laughs> he was, he was one of the people, wasn't he? He was. You could you could go out with Ben, you know. After the fight with Barkley, for instance, he was out on the on, on the rads with with his fans that had come over to watch him in Atlantic City. Whereas Ben, you don't. I'm with Eubank, so you don't. I don't think the fans quite got that. It was just his arrogant-minded, narrow-minded, and just self self-obsessed with himself. And whereas Ben was like, you, you, you know, your guy next door, wasn't he? He was the guy that he was your mate. So I think that's what people loved about Ben, and uh, and it just set up for it. The, the hate for Eubank, and then. The, the love for Nigel and uh, but you know it, it, it swings and roundabouts because obviously as it develops I think people start to appreciate how good Eubank was but oh, it, was, it was simmering nicely for, for the main event and this is some interesting information about this particular fight going into everything to the ring walk was <laughs> when I looked up the information on it this was great I mean watching the video back before looking at information for, for our episode was like you know this is great great entrances and then you, you sit there and you're watching Eubank come in and you know he's got his Simply the Best by Tina Turner and then as he's starting to come out the music just completely stops and now I never knew 
watching back on that, that this was actually a, a sabotage by Ben's team. So what actually happened was, obviously, to get their own back on the way Eubank had been in the lead-up to the fight and, and how arrogant he'd been, uh, one of Eubank's team de- <laughs> decided to, to, to basically stop the record, yes, record, for people that are the over the age of 30, that is a very round, black, circular thing that goes on with a pin. You probably won't have seen him. Go, go on Google and check him out. Yes, so the record, simply the best, was actually stopped. So Eubank just carried on. He just carried on walking to the ring like a consummate professional, like nothing had even happened. So the music completely stops, and he just carries on, goes in, does his vaulting over the rope as always. And then we get, obviously, Nigel Benn, who then comes in just looking like a mini Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, the funny thing is, as well, is... Uh, the other thing I, I, I picked up, and I don't know if you might have as well, Sean, is that is Ben, because they used to do check weight before the fight, and on the fight, on the morning of the fight, I think they said Ben woke up at sort of 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever, um, and he went, I need to check weight. And they went, all right. So he checked weight, and he was six and a half pounds overweight for this fight, and he had three hours to lose it. So he spent literally the whole morning running around an underground roundabout, uh, had done three miles on a treadmill with all his clothes on. Then he went into a sauna with four layers of clothes, clothing on and, and shadow box for 45 minutes to try and bring down that weight. In the end, he managed to go to, to check weight and he checked weight. But after that, he also he, he couldn't eat anything. He literally had half a sandwich. So you, uh, you bang had a bit of he had a bit of an advantage, and, and Ben, well, you know, he was a bit he was struggling. He's had to do a little bit more than he was supposed to be doing. So um, I think as well with them stopping that record, that was also a part of trying to play mild games with Eubank, but in actual fact, it just pissed Barry Earn off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something that not a lot of people may know about the fight, unless you really hardcore and have, have really gone into the depths of, of these particular two fighters' careers. I actually never knew that this had happened in terms of his check weight and, and the fact that he had to do all these miles and the treadmill and the shadow boxing to actually you know drain the weight out of him to be able to get in there on the day and, and give it as a fair advantage as possible. But as you rightly pointed out, in this day and age, again, when I refer back to it, people, when they're absolutely draining themselves down to the bone, it, it definitely has a massive impact on their performance on the night. And I've always said this about boxing and, and the way these things go down. And, and and evidently, I think, when you look back on the fight and as we touch through the fight, you can actually start to see how this does come into play later on down the line of the fight. So, as we were saying then, going back to the entrances, once they got yeah. into the ring, one I think one of the most iconic scenes in British boxing history happened as they both came to the middle of the ring and they both stared at each other and it was just Eubank's typical glazed eye stare straight through Ben and Ben's expression of just pure hatred and loathing for Eubank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, it was intense, wasn't it? And, and even the way when they when they sort of went back to their to their corners as well just before the bell sounded and and that 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 iconic pose that I suppose you got to say with Eubank with with the hands and sort of the sort of side standing and glaring over to his opponent in the corner and and Ben was almost doing a similar thing wasn't he so they're both staring and waiting for that bell when they're ready and Ben in his head thinking I'm going to absolutely rip your head off <laughs> so uh, it was it was brilliant it was great to watch. you could feel the tension you I mean I always go back to 
I don't remember it as an eight-year-old. I was an eight-year-old in the front room with my brother uh, and his mate. And uh, my brother was so... He couldn't wait for it. He absolutely was 16, 17, my brother. And he was so eager to, 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 for, for Ben to just wipe the smile off, this smirk off Eubank's face. And like, I could feel the tension in the room. It, was, it, it had that about it. I mean, you watch it on YouTube and it, the sound quality is not as great. And I don't think it really gives it the significant obviously you can read stuff about it but but being in my front room i tell you what you couldn't have been any more intense and my brother was just uh, it was just it was just really it was a strange feeling it's the one thing obviously 1990 was a big year because i remember obviously england i'm a football fan so i remember england in the 1990 world cup in the summer and, and england losing obviously to germany so and then this was the other part of 1990 so there are two significant memories in, in my household and uh I'll never forget that. And that is one thing that will always stay with me. Is exactly what you say, that, that intense, that hatred between the pair of them was, you, you can't really, you can't replay it. Almost like a penalty, you know, when you do it in training. You can't replay it when you're there in the stadium. So, yeah, unbelievable. It was just, it was great to watch back in there. And it, it set it off nicely, didn't it? From the off. Yeah, from the off, basically, you get Eubank coming out in that sort of trademark sideways stance coming out really unorthodox looking and and very sort of arrogant about it. it was just arrogance pure arrogance and he comes out and there's just no respect at all for ben ben comes out and obviously you know exactly what ben wants to go and do and as you said he wanted to go and rip eubank's head off and straight away he came out and he started throwing punches but eubank really smart in the in the early couple of rounds where he, he's really trying to box with against ben and, and use the advantages he had as a fighter to try and overcome ben but ben was just so he was so ferocious as we always known him as he was just he wouldn't stop he, he took punches to get on the inside to get to eubank but eubank actually caught Ben with a real good right cross in in the opening stanza and that was a significant start and he really hurt Ben in that first round and that the commentators were absolutely wild it was like immediately it was like a replay of the Iron Barkley fight it was you know Ben comes out starts throwing ferocious punches Eubank catches him nice great right cross and then all of a sudden you just kind of see Ben's legs go a little bit and you're like oh no you know if you didn't know the result before that I can imagine the millions of people that watched it in 1990 you know hearts would have been in the mouth at this point and you is going to have to come back the punch is red he's not going to be able to strut he's going to have to try and hurt Ben he's done the he's done Ben by the look of it he chopped that right hand down though he's right above us Ben almost falling down on the ring on us here this is what we've seen Ben so dangerous from this position here it comes He's always saying he likes to battle back, Pebble. He's got to do it here. Try to do it with Watson, but it didn't work. Ben's legs are shaking. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, he had that. It was like a crab-like style, and it sort of glide around the ring sideways. It's, it's really weird to watch, but he was he was obviously effective. And uh, as you say, he was very smart. He was very clever. He almost used his jab a little bit. He was. He looked like he was going to just literally, as he said, the boxer against you know the shallow puncher, as he put it. And and Ben was obviously trying to get in close. Um, and then he sort of roughed up his rhythm a little bit in that first round, Ben. And then obviously going into the second, as you say, that that wonderful cross from from Eubank. Um, and then um, yeah, yeah, it, it was it, it was boiling up lovely. And then obviously that that one particular shot, I think I think Ben's thrown a right hand, and it was like a, it was like a one-two, if you like. And then he's caught him with a third, and it did. It stiffened Ben's legs. He's gone back to the ropes, and you are thinking, oh my god. Luckily, it was the end of the round because, you know, to be honest, a minute and a half left, that fight could have been over. Let's be honest. I mean, he was a clinical finisher at Eubank, although he hadn't really been, he wasn't a seasoned pro, but he was confident and he, and he was very clinical in the way he finished his guys. 
saying that Ben like a wounded animal, wasn't he? So when he's you know when he's hurt, he's at his most dangerous. So who knows what could have happened if that had continued? You know, literally it happened right at the end of that second round. But oh, it was it was it was looking great. It was a great start, and um, obviously, as you said, the commentators were, were feeding off that, and, and you could you could feel the excitement in the state in the arena. That's right. And then we go into the third and fourth, and and the fourth sticks out in my mind in particular when watching the fight back was when Eubank took an absolute ferocious right uppercut to the chin when breaking away from the clinch. That blow actually caused him to bite. His tongue which led him with a severe gash which led to a lot of blood being swallowed Eubank actually hid the evidence from his corner something that has only been found out obviously after the event so it, you know we all know what it's like when you bite your tongue it's horrible when you're eating a piece of food but this guy had took an absolute <laughs> huge uppercut and obviously at the time the uppercut landed he, he, he bit his tongue so hard that he'd caused a, a huge gash on his tongue. So there was blood literally coming in his mouth, but he was swallowing the blood because if he would have let that blood come out of his mouth, they probably would have stopped the fight because that's what would have happened. They would have seen that much blood coming out of him. It's like, no, no, this is you know this is pretty severe. It was probably a big chance that if he would have carried on, that they would have stopped it through the fact that he might have even lost his tongue. You know, that, that's how bad it was. Yeah, yeah, and as you said, he didn't. He actually didn't even mention that until after, well after the fight. But yeah, I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, it. You could literally, as as they are in the inside, it's sort of like their heads have come together. And as you sort of, I think Eubank described it as when you got your, your sort of chin on someone's shoulder, and then as you come away, your, your mouth is slightly open. So that's why when he's actually thrown this massive uppercut, his, his mouth being slightly open, I think just caught his tongue, obviously bit his tongue, and. As you say, he was trying to hide the evidence from Ronnie Davis and obviously the doctors because he didn't, he didn't want him to pick up on the fact that he was losing, he had so much blood in his mouth and he didn't want the fight to be stopped. Which again just shows you that you know for all the things that Eubank was, he was he was very self confident and he was uh, a bit of a prick. Let's be honest. Um, he 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 had a, he had a real will to to want to fight and win. So. Uh, credit to him really it was it was always remembered this fight for the commentary the itv commentary obviously the commentators got so into this that yeah jim mcdonald was like jesus look at that right hand and and it was just you you got the you got the big fight feel of everything you know when the commentators play some people slag them off don't they in this day and age like there's some of the shit they come out with but like i think you felt every punch with the way the expressions of the commentators came across on the telly. Like you've got the guys like Jim McDonald shouting, "Jesus!" You know that's not something you kind of get now. It's more, it's more scripted. I think it's more. They've got their own sort of things sort of set out for them. Whereas now it's back in the day. Sorry, it was more like they're saying it as they see it and as they felt it, as opposed to it's being specific about certain things that I was saying. And that really made a difference to me watching the fight back is it kind of got you really sort of engaged in the action that was going on in the ring. And it, it kind of led you to feel something was happening more than what you actually thought it was. You know, going into that fifth round, Ben's eye was actually swollen shut because of the amount of punishment he was taking on the way in to get to Chris Eubank. And then in the sixth, Eubank started throwing shots at Ben, who was covering up on the ropes. Ben then caught Eubank with a low blow, uh, and with no points deducted, he started using that to his advantages with the fact the referee didn't do nothing about it. started pounding Eubank to the body, and it was just an amazing, amazing couple of rounds where they were both getting involved in some great exchanges. Yeah, definitely. That that low blow definitely clearly upset Eubank's rhythm. Um, 
he was he was in pretty much in control. Of, as you say, Ben Zayat obviously almost closed shut that by this point, and um, so he's thrown that 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 punch. Obviously, he was low, um, and uh, and Eubank to be to his credit again, you know, he's bit his tongue, and now he's you know, he's been he's, <laughs> he's been he's been punching in the bollocks, <laughs> and as you say, Richard still the ref who it was you know he was an established referee at the time. Um, yeah, he, he didn't he could have given him a bit longer. I mean, we seen one recently with Amir Khan, and uh, he just bottled that completely. Eubank give himself a few seconds, and he was back in there. Clearly in discomfort. Ben, clever in, in his tactics, as you say, targeted the body. I mean, the last thing we need is, you know, you can imagine being the fighter getting caught in, in, in the Goonies and then all of a sudden, you know, you're getting smashed in the body. You know what I mean? By someone who's a big puncher. That's the last thing you want. You know, you, everybody knows you feel a bit sick and you, you, your belly hurts a bit, then it afterwards. So very clever tactics from Ben. And it, as you say, worked the body really well. Um, and it was clearly taking effect on, on Eubank. But obviously with Ben, with his eye, you know, he knew he had to do something different. And with that granite chin, which, which Eubank clearly showed in this fight, he got caught a few times with some big hands, big right hands. And um, so it wasn't the chin that was going to put him down. It was always going to be the body. And you could see in, in Ben's eyes, specifically in the 6th and 7th, when he was, he was really whipping them shots in, in deep, wasn't he, Ben? And um, they were taking some effect. And even one point... Eubank even glances over to Richard Steele, ref, and and when you see that in a, in a fight, you start to think, oh, hold on a minute, I think I think this is on the turn. This fight, you know, he's looking for a way out here. But again, credit to Eubank, he, he fought on. He did. He fought back in the seventh. He really did, and he started to turn the fight a little bit around in his favour. And then as we get into the eighth round, the scores are fairly even as we start that round. But this at this point. When I was talking about earlier about how the effects of the weight drain might start to catch up with Ben, and it was evident, this is where I felt he started to catch up with him in the fight, going into the eighth. He became a little bit more wary going into the eighth round now. He was looking to kind of pick these one-punch shots on Eubank. He was just like throwing... They weren't entirely wild, but in my eyes it was kind of like he was only throwing... The, the one shot, looking for that one-punch knockout. Now, actually, he did catch Eubank uh, on the top of the head with a overhand right after he trapped Eubank in the corner. Now, that meant that he went down. Uh, he was up there quick, mm-hmm. said it was a slip. No, no, it's a slip, it's a slip. That's what he was saying to the Richard Steele, the referee. But he had to take the eight count regardless from Richard Steele. I'm surprised that Eubank hasn't tried to make better use of his jab because Ben does come straight on him. Yeah, exactly. Professes to be a master of the noble art. Oh, what? Almost came out on that lap, Jordan. A little bit of a slip. He's arguing with the referee. It was a slip. But there's no point in him shouting at him because he got clipped at the same time. I think it was a bit of both, Rez. It was a slip. It was a punch that caused him to slip, so you've got to count. And that was a really interesting part of the fight because at this point, with the fight being so even, that was significant because that now meant that it was a 10-8 round automatically, which meant that essentially bends two rounds in front. So this is where Eubank really had to start coming back. And he finished the round pretty strongly. And what was interesting is that at the end of the round, round number eight, he's posing again, he's arrogant, he's just ridiculous, like he's just posing, and he did it in a couple of the rounds throughout the fight, which I've not touched on, but when you watch the fight back, you just see him doing this pose, and I always refer back to today, Chris Eubank Jr. used to do exactly the same up until recently, he'd stand in between the rounds in the corner when they get the one minute break, and he'd just stand there staring at the opponent, and Eubank 
was exactly the same in this fight with Ben. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we did touch on that. I mean, even from the first round, uh, he actually, because because the camera goes straight onto Ben's corner and you don't actually see it, but Eubank was actually strolling around in his corner before he actually, for about 10 seconds, before he actually went back to Ronnie Davis. And as you say, he was did exactly the same thing. Um, <laughs> I think, again, it's just to prove that it's his way of saying to everybody, like, you know, I've got this, you know what I mean? Don't don't worry, this is this is this is in the bag type of thing. He's, if anything, he's trying to sway the judges as well. But I mean, as you say, that knockdown, whether it was a slip or not, I mean I've watched it so many times. I mean, at the time, as I kicked going back to my, my household at while this fight was on, my brother was unbelievably just jumping around, shadow boxing away and it, he thought it was over. Obviously it, it wasn't and he still to this day would always say it was a, it was it was never a slip he took it down. I've watched it it's difficult because he does catch him right behind the ear and it, with with the way like the, that that crab like style that Eubank had, whether he would have gone low and just moved out of the way and maybe there was a little bit of water and he slipped on it. He was absolutely fine as you said, Sean and he you know, he was ready to carry on. But um yeah that I, I think I think the one problem for Ben was was the eye. It was it was Clearly, it was completely shut by this point. And, uh, and Eubank was a clever fighter, a clever boxer, as I touched on with Ben being a clever fighter, using the body after sort of getting him in the balls. And, um, and, and he targeted that eye, and, and he worked it well. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm moving into that to that last round. So then. That's it, the ninth and the final round of this particular fight. And again, we talk about the Legendary Night series and about some of the greatest fights we've ever watched. This is where it started to make it greatest fight, legendary night territory when this nine round came about because what started out as what you believed was going to be a Ben round turned into something completely different. So the round started as the, as the previous rounds had started, really. Both men were going for it. Both men knew, you know, this was do or die and going into that ninth round, uh, which I, I've got to say, if you've not seen the ninth round of this particular fight, and you're listening at this point, then you obviously need to go and watch it because it was an unbelievable, unbelievable round because it was quite an even round as it started out. And it was up until Eubank missed with a right. Ben caught him with a left hook, which landed on Eubank, who was a little bit unbalanced at this point, And it sent him down. So standing up, Eubank again circled Ben before releasing a left-right combination and a left hook, which staggered Ben. Ben survived that little fluid and got into the clinch. And then Eubank then, this is where you said earlier, and you quite rightly pointed out that he was known for being a fantastic finisher. He got a straight right from Eubank, sent Ben into the corner, and it was at this point where Richard Seal had seen enough and decided that he was going to step in to end the flurry with five seconds left of round number nine. He was calling for that. That was Ben. Oh, what a shot. Shot Opened him up with the left hand and then shot the right hand over and it connected. There's the countdown. If he did go down, the count would continue... Ben, ben shaking, Reg. Oh, right to his boots, Jim. Ben is shaking. The eyes watch, Reg. This will be the finish of the belt. It's all over in the ninth round. And would you believe in uh, Ben's corner, they looked as though they were objecting to that for a minute. Why was it stopped? But I think he was right to dive in there. Apart from the, the eye closing, uh, he was also getting punished at that point, Jim. Wow, when you go back and watch this fight and you go back and watch this particular round, what what a way for a fight to end. It was like Corrales Castillo all over. It really was, wasn't it? Uh, and, and credit to you, Bank. I mean, the fight was, I mean, on my scorecard, even when I, when I scored it again, I had Ben 
obviously with the knockdown, I'd been up by a round. If, if obviously whether it was a knockdown or not, I mean it could have been an even round if there wasn't if that wasn't a knockdown, it was called as a slip. But very tight going into that ninth round, and and you could almost feel like Ben was in the ascendancy in a way, even though his eye was completely shut. Um, but I'm, I'm, maybe maybe you know as you say, having to to do those to, to burn off six and a half pounds in in three hours. Is not going to do you any good on come the night of the fight, and that was the morning of the fight. You know, only eating half a sandwich, and definitely, definitely took its toll on Ben. And um, and I think it, 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 you know, with the eye as well, um, and and it, it was clinical. Eubank, very clinical. Um, you know, he, he did catch Ben. He wobbled him a couple of times, as you say, momentarily. Ben escaped um, by by sort of standing for the clinch um, and then Ben was pinned to the neutral corner Eubank Frank combos until the referee obviously stopped it with Ben on his feet Eubank sank to his knees in jubilation um, I, mean, I mean the one thing I'll say is with, with Ben I suppose with some refs they probably would have allowed it to, for the round to finish and, and allowed it to go to the 10th even though he was getting hit with his hands down, using his face, if you like, as a, as a, as a defence. But that was Ben. Like, as, I, as we touched on with, with the Logan fight, for instance, he took, the, I think they even said, 22 shots, combinations, before he threw that left to knock Logan out. So I suppose that's where I'm with you. I think he, did, he should have stopped it. But just through, you know, looking at Ben in, in previous fights, maybe he could have gone on. I mean, the eye was, was done in a way. He even said himself, I couldn't see the shots coming. But, you know, Ben, as I've always said, and one thing you'd always know of Ben, he was like a wounded animal. As soon as he was in trouble, he'd throw something. Ben had no arguments. It was it was a fair stoppage, and it deserved to... And, and Eubank, to his credit, deserved to win the fight. Richard Steele, the referee of this fight, was quoted as saying this was the most dramatic fight he'd ever refereed at this point. And obviously, this, <laughs> wow. this, this, this fight to this day is obviously still considered one of the best fights you know not even just in britain but one of the best fights in in world boxing and this is this is why two guys middleweight in the prime going for the world title and this is what we get an unbelievable fight and i'm it makes me proud as a as a british fighter fan to be a british fighter fan when we've got this sort of lineage of, of fights under our belts to be able to look back on and, and be able to talk about that you know this happened with two british guys involved and what an unbelievable fight and i can only really say to the people that listen to the the episodes and you know if you've if you've listened if you've watched the fight already after listening to the the, the podcast that we do then you know we we really appreciate it because this is what gets us hyped up to go and watch these fights. We record it, we put it out, and then we listen back and we're like, "Oh, I might go and watch that fight again." And then I know that's the same. <laughs> that is exactly the same feeling from your side as well. And, and and obviously, a lot of guys that know that I know that listen to our podcast, and a lot of people that support the podcast when they listen to it and they send little messages through to me on Twitter, and it's like, no, "I really enjoyed that episode." This, this is why it's unbelievable to be able to talk about fights like this, and I think it kind of it leads us. Now Nicely then into the aftermath for both of these guys then. Unbelievable fight. But it wasn't the end for these two, was it? Because they ended up going on, as you said at the start of the episode, to go on to have a second fight, which was a bigger fight in terms of the magnitude of it because it actually happened at Manchester United's football ground, Old Trafford, and it was one of the biggest boxing events that had been staged at this point, especially in Britain in particular. This was an unbelievable event, the second fight. And and at the time, both of them had moved up in weights. Ben was the WBC super middleweight champion, Eubank, the WBO super middleweight champion, and, and what we got in there was uh, 
was another unbelievable fight. Not as good as this first one that we've covered, but still another great, fantastic fight. Ah, it, it, again, I mean, Barry Earn is, you know, he, he, I think they both ended up signing with Barry after this fight as well. Um, although they, I think, you know, uh, with, with Ben, he had, I mean, he, he had so many. I, I think he had, he had Burt McCarthy, Frank Warren, Frank Maloney, Barry Earn, Terry Marsh, Ambrose Mendy, Bob Arum and Don King all promoted Ben. So <laughs> Ben went for his promoters as well as his trainers. I mean, he had five trainers in his career as well. But, um, you know, this you've got to give Barry Earn credit for the way he put this together. You know, he, he guided them separately. They obviously went off and had their separate fights and then he, he, he he sort of built it up and built it up as he's as he tries to do, I suppose, now with Anthony Joshua. Um, and they called it, was it, the, the contest was named uh, Judgment Day. Yes. It was uh, reported that 500 million people, um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, 500 million, it was 500 million apparently watched the fight. Um, it was an exciting contest. Um, it, it was uh, for Old Trafford, 50,000 people, and um, obviously... With uh, with a pound note, you know Don King could spend a pound note a mile off. So he was obviously involved winning of Don King, um, and then it was a, it was a brilliant fight. Again, it was a draw, which was a bit of a, a bit of an anticlimax. I mean, I again I, I, I do remember this fight more um, as a, as a sort of early teen, if you like. Um, and and I, um, I I thought Ben won the fight. I watched it back. I still think Ben wins the fight. I don't know if that's because I just don't like you, Pink. I suppose maybe. Um, but you know, it was a draw. It, it was what it was. Uh, but it was an exit. It was. It, it just showed you that how today, where we move from these sort of 20,000 arenas or 30,000 arenas, whatever they hold, to, to Wembley Stadium. This was basically that. You know, you're at the NEC in front of 10,000 10, people, and then you move it to Old Trafford in front of 50,000. And that was what they brought. They brought the fans. They brought the media. America. They had two uh, world titles at super middleweight on the line. It, it, it was just beautiful. It was that is what it all stems from this one particular fight. That was an absolute, absolute belter, and um, yeah, a, a wonderful fight. And uh, again, anyone, please just go and watch it. Have a look at the second one as well as the first because it really was an excellent contest. So, just briefly touching on Nigel Ben's career after this point. Obviously, we talked about the fact that he did have a second fight up at Super Middleweight with Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. He would then campaign the rest of his career up at Super Middleweight, being involved with fights with Henry Wharton, Juan Carlos Jimenez, and then the epic fight, which was also a sad turn of events with Gerald McClellan. I feel like that Gerald McClellan fight is, is probably one to potentially put down in the future as another episode for this series because of the fight itself, not so much the aftermath with what happened to McClellan, but the fight itself was was an unbelievable fight and another fight where, as always, Nigel Benn was always the underdog. He was always a man against the odds, so he had a fantastic fight with McClellan uh, and then he moved on and, and two more great fights which he were involved in was two fights with Steve Collins in 1996 and he actually retired at, uh, in 1996, his final fight against Steve Collins and, and that was that was the end of Nigel Benn in that point. I, I always thought maybe he would uh, he would decide to try and uh, come back for one more go like, uh, like Eubank did in his career but yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable end to to what was a pretty good career from Nigel Ben? Oh yeah, I mean he, he did have. He, he obviously had that sort of. He had an early peak, didn't he? Just before the Eubank fight, and then went to America and sorted it. Well, it was the Whit fight. Went to America, sorted himself out, got himself better after the Watson fight. So he recovered, won a title, lost to Eubank, and then basically, as you say, he just sort of licked his wounds. 
got himself back in. This was by no means the end uh, of Ben. Um, and he went on to obviously win the WBC title in, in Italy. Um, and obviously then had the draw with Eubank. And then obviously, as you say, the Gerald McKillen fight was... Uh, I, uh, the tragedy that surrounds it is always obviously going to be the one thing that people will always mention. And it, it wasn't good for the sport in terms of how it ended. Um, but in terms of the fight itself, what an unbelievable fight. It really was brilliant. This guy, uh, Gerald McKinnon, he was the, the big puncher. He was the Ben of 22 fights and 22 knockouts. He was the guy that was supposed to go in and just literally wipe the floor with Ben. And it looked like it would have, it was going to happen. I think loads and loads of reporters put down that I think they all thought it'd be over in the first round. And, uh, and it, they almost got it right I mean the way it was going it looked that way Ben recovered well and then obviously as the fight wore on obviously we, we all know what happened with, with the blinking and Glennon etc but <laughs> I mean he had a couple of right knobs in his corner didn't he his whole entourage was it, 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 uh, you know he wasn't a nice fella I mean I'm not, I'm not going to lie he wasn't a nice guy if anyone wants to go read about the guy he wasn't very nice doesn't mean that he should deserve to have what happened to him but um uh, if anything just go and watch that fight it really is I mean if anyone's got box station they have it on probably once a week that one because it's so good yeah, yeah no I agree and then we look at Chris Eubank's career after this fight and he was obviously involved in, in, in epic fights as well just touching on the, the fights with Michael Watson again another sort of tragic turn of events in, in the fights with Michael Watson he beat Watson in the first one and then obviously beat him in the second one but obviously unfortunately Michael Watson collapsed at the end of the 11th round in the second fight and, and, and obviously the rest is history but he also was involved in other great fights with uh, a notable opponent in Falana Malinga as well he got involved with him, he also fought Juan Carlos Jimenez as well and then he was also involved in some great fights uh, down the line with the likes of Steve Collins there again they were probably they're probably other episodes we can cover off for legendary nights because they were the two fights yeah. with Steve Collins were again were just were, were just fantastic nights and fantastic build-ups to talk about and then obviously he had his final three fights of his career unfortunately they were all losses unanimous decision losses but he would fight a future star in Joe Calzaghe in 97 which was for the vacant WBO super middleweight title he then decided to come back in 98 and fight up at Cruiserweight against Cal the Cat Thompson in, in two great fights against Cal Thompson there. So Eubank also had a, a great career. And just to summarise both men's careers, they both became world champions in two separate weights. And that's a feat that not a lot of boxers can say they ever did. And that is why a lot of fans regard them as British boxing legends. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, with Eubank, Ben, um, it, it was obviously... Their rivalry, when you think of one, you think of the other, uh, which which alone for me is enough. Um, too many guys may hold unbelievable, you know, throughout their weight, they could, they could hold several different tiles and different weights, but that you struggle to find that, 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 that partner they tangled with, if you like. You know, styles make fights, as they say, but also you need someone with you. When you think of Gatti, you think of Walls. You know, when you think of Eubank, you think of Ben. When you think of Ali, you think of Frazier. No matter what, Anybody, you know, people will always remember that for that, for those two fights. And obviously, their careers, they both had magnificent careers, as you say, in two separate weights. I mean, even Ronnie Davis, when Newbank moved up to super middleweight, although it was only a brief spell, 
Ronnie Davis actually felt that he should have. He would. He was a beast at light at light heavy. So you know, who knows if that if he'd have moved up to light heavy, maybe he could have gone on to do even more things um, earlier than he did. That is, but, but I mean, they were just excellent fights. I mean, I mean, the Watson fight, for instance, again, it was a tragedy, tragic, tragic turn of events. But I think people forget that that is actually one of Eubank's best performances. You know, it, it was a, it was a, he was down on the scorecards and he needed to finish the fight by a knockout and stopped him. I mean. Obviously, it was it was tragic what happened, but I think people just overlooked that that it was an outstanding performance f- from Eubank, and then obviously it goes on to the, with the two Collins fights, which uh, Collins he knew what he was doing, he, he he knew to target, and 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 Eubank after that Watson fight, we mentioned it with Ben, he was very clinical in the finish, and he even said himself that he lost that clinical finish going forward. I mean, you look at the, his resume and a lot of his fights went 12 rounds and went the distance. Although he wasn't a massive knockout punch, he had times when he would knock him out with one punch. And it was just the way he would finish a fight. And I think he even said himself he'd take his foot off the gas. With Collins, there was an instance where he could have pressed on and he sort of decided to take it to 12 because he was worried. And I think the same with Cole Thompson. He put him down, I think, in the first fight. And he could have pressed on and he didn't. So, you know, where they both, uh, you know, you think of one, you think of the other, but they also had those tragic fights as well. So they are just moulded into one. I mean, we, they still talk about it today, how much they hate each other, how much they would have a third one, even today. Uh, would I watch it? I probably would. I'm not even joking, I probably would watch it. So it, it, they were just, it, it was a great fight. It was, it, I'd ever think it was a classic, it was unforgettable. I mean, so the words just found me. I mean, it, it was a battle of wits, a battle of wills. You know, it was a fight of the ages. And um, and I think that is it's 100% a legendary night. And they, they, as you say, they could even feature further on down the line. So maybe when we do other polls, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Ben um, McClellan comes out as one as a winner because that was another great fight. And obviously, Con, uh, Collins against Eubank, their first one in particular, was another another great fight. Um, Calzaghi, as you mentioned, sorry. I'm rabbiting on it, but it's just, it, there's so many fights. They, they're a credit to British boxing and they're a credit to boxing as a whole. And, and they actually, WBO, they, you know, they were a small, unrecognized organization at the time. And if anything, it's probably down to Ben Eubank that WBO has now become what it is today. And I can't disagree with that last statement there because you're probably right. It was probably the pioneering fight for their world championship and their organization also on a side note then going back to what you were talking about there if anybody that's listening has not seen a good documentary about these two going in against each other and their particular rivalry itv did a documentary a few years back called the best ever big fight live and it was former world champion duke mckenzie and barry mcwiggin talking about this particular rivalry duke mckenzie saying it's a rivalry that may never be rivaled with barry mcwiggin also agreeing to say there was real empathy and ill will between them two but what fights what fights the legacy of the feud is definitely going to be summed up by this first fight for me and the moniker of a war to end all wars is is perfect for not just this fight but the whole Ben Eubank saga in general it was definitely a war to end all wars and what an unbelievable fight to cover and I know we always bang on about how unbelievable fights are but genuinely if you're not if you're not a big fan of boxing these are the types of fights that get you loving the sport these are the types of fights that get the casual audience on board people that may just like a fight like this they'll only watch boxing for fights like this if you've never watched this fight and you're listening to this episode for the first time 
then we implore you to go and find the fight on YouTube. There is some really good, high-quality versions of the fight on there. Go and look at the fight. Go and watch the fight and go and look back at what an event it really was and, and how good of a fight it really was. And i got to be honest, Johnston, it was... Uh, when this won the poll, I was, I was so excited to do it because I've got such fond memories of both of these fighters growing up in the 90s and enjoying boxing as a fan in the 90s so it was it was great to cover this one today on this episode and i'm really glad that we've had the opportunity to do it oh absolutely absolutely and uh and going back and just uh recapping and you know as you put it so well in terms of it really was a, a an unbelievable pioneering i mean we mentioned it in the last pod with, with lennon and duran but these fights what this is what makes it makes it legendary the way that they they're so significant that sort of the rest of boxing follows suit and that is that's that's what puts you that's what puts these guys in the hall of fame i think ben's only just been put in the hall of fame like last year i think i'm not sure if eubank's even in there i I honestly don't know um but they 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 deserve to be because of you know people will always say you know a hall of fame eh? you know that should be like a sugar ray leonard or it should be like you know an Ali. but these guys it's not just about how good they were great to watch fantastic to watch but their, you know, their rivalry itself belongs there. It, it, it sort of it, it, it makes boxing. It's, it's, as you say, for, for the average fan, I was an eight-year-old boy watching my brother and his mate, and just, just unbelievably, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was sort of watching this. I was watching them more than a fight. I just, I have memories of my brother on shadow boxing. So to watch a fan, you know, obviously my brother, but watching a fan react the way he did, that was how it was throughout the whole of England. And 1990 was a key year in England. We were riding that way from the World Cup. You know, even Gazza was in attendance on the night with, with Linford Christie and whoever else was there. But uh, it, it was just a, 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 a com- it was compelling. It was classic. It was thrilling. And, um, and the both guys deserve utmost respect because they were warriors, man. They were, these, these guys were tough, tough brothers. And, and yeah, uh, it's just... It was, yeah, it was, it was brilliant to watch back, and uh, and I really enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and one thing I have to say, well, I've got a note here, which was that, which always made me laugh, which I probably should have said earlier, was that one quote from uh, Nigel Ben was that um, you can put Maradona on yourself to score goals, Steve Davis to pop balls, and me to kick ass. <laughs> what a great way to, to to close out the show with that quote. And guys, I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Like I say, I know there's a few, quite a few years out there that that message and always say they look forward to each episode of legendary night so i hope again we've done this fight justice and i hope we've been able to take you on a recap through history about this fight and and about the event and and obviously what it meant for british boxing in general so if you've really enjoyed it please let us know about it go on twitter and tweet us at btr boxing pod if you've not already subscribed to the podcast and this is the first time you've listened to us, go over and find us on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean. We're on all available podcasting apps out there. Go and find us and subscribe because we don't just do this. We do a Ones to Watch series featuring all prospects from around the UK and the world. We also do a weekly review and preview episode. So go and check us out on social media as well, on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and BTR Boxing Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode of BTR's Legendary Nights. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Wilson, right hand shot. Excellent.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.